This is Over the Culture Podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like summer. This summer, at least. Fuck it. I know we're not even done, but I'm just going to say, fuck you, summer 2022. And I'm your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Alex Treblack, Reaper Sutherland, Luke Fly Talker, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, the troll of trolls, the prince of petty, the macho Mandalorian, Steve G. It's July 10th, 2022, and coming in with another late edition of Over the Culture Podcast for you, uh, not as late as last week's, like uh, the next day late, but it's later than I wanted it to be. Uh, I was off today, uh, and I was off yesterday. I had plans to get some things done in situations and things of that nature, but uh, yeah, once again, this fucking car, this goddamn fucking car is the bane of my existence and it's pushed a lot of shit back it pushed my plans back uh just like getting this podcast published this episode of over the culture and i i've just about had it i i thought that i needed transmission fluid i thought i needed to get drained and refilled but no 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 I had a diagnostic done to it at AutoZone, diagnostic done at Advanced Auto Trip. I had a diagnostic by a makeshift ass mechanic, bullshitting ass mechanic. And I paid this fucker $100 for his transportation mobile fee and his diagnostic. And I was told by other people, in all fairness, that a diagnostic, even at an actual shop, is going to run you about 100 just to tell you what the fuck is wrong with the car. So I think all of that, the, the whole auto mechanic industry is a fucking crock of shit. So apparently you expect any and everybody to bring their fucking hoopy. Anybody who brings their fucking sloppy jalopy into your fucking lot, you expect them to have $100 to put your machine into our fucking car. That takes only about less than a minute. I've... Just about every time, from my experience, less than a fucking minute, you expect a motherfucker to come out of pocket for you to put your little fucking ticker tank ass fucking machine into our car and give us a reading and a hundred dollars before we even get the fucking situation solved. Are you fucking kidding me? And I, so I pay that fucker a hundred dollars and I realize that I need ignition coils. That's what that burning is. The makeshift mechanic, he tested, he checked my transmission fluid and it wasn't the transmission fluid. He said, it's fine. It's full and it's fine. All right. I'll smoke a bag of that. I don't have to go to the dealership and have some extra $200, $300 fee that only they can do because it's Nissan. At least I don't have to do that. But get the fuck out of my existence, makeshift mechanic. Here's $100. I learned my lesson. Stop trusting people, Steve. You really have to stop trusting people. What the fuck is wrong with you, Steve? So once I got that diagnostic from makeshift mechanic, the advanced auto parts, and the AutoZone guy, the ignition coil it is. So it took me forever and a day just to get the engine hood the the hood of the engine lifted this piece of fucking plastic that is only there to be a cover to to make the engine look pretty because the engine is really ugly all the innards of the fucking car that's really all this fucking thing is supposed to do to protect it to cover it and the bolt the bolt was fucking done so it took about two three four heads to get this fucking bolt off of the engine lid so I can get to this ignition coil. I get to the ignition coil and psh, little did I know, ignition coils cost an arm and a leg. And there's about three or four of those fucking things in my car. I checked them. One of them's good. Uh, about two of them are corroded. So I nigger rigged this shit and I got some bullshit grease. I, I looked up Googles and they say if you put this bullshit grease on these things it's like putting a band-aid on a broken ankle but i did it i did it the fucking car still turns on it, it drives shittily my car drives like i tried to drive it to europe and i just came back home 
it drives like a fucking golf cart but it's a car my car is not supposed to drive like a fucking golf cart because i'm not driving around pretty grass and shit i'm getting on highways and freeways and busy ass streets so that was my sunday and saturday and friday and i was off i was off on all of those days did i enjoy them i try to i be trying i be trying to look at the glass half full i be trying to look at the bright side and i'm kind of sick of that shit i'm really sick of that shit fuck that bright side fuck that glass half full i want that shit in my fucking lap why i gotta look and imagine and, and play fictional fake world bullshit I want that shit in my real fucking life because if I tell the fucking bank that gave me my car note that, that I'm supposed to pay every month, I, hey, you know what? Look on the bright side. I got a job. All right. You're going to get paid eventually. They'll be like, nah, nigga, you 90 days late. Imagine us taking your car like yesterday. I wish I could talk to my fucking phone company and be like you know what look on the bright side i paid you on april i paid you in may in june hey man yeah you're looking on the bright side you know you're gonna get paid no it don't work like that so because of all of that shit i'm sick of looking on the bright side and trying to see the sunny side of things no man actually you know what the sun can suck my dick the sun is fucking pitiful and it's not just because I live in the South. The, the summer the, and what the sun represents can kiss my ass. Really, I'm a night owl. I, I, I like the moon. I'm a moon guy. All right, sun, go fuck off. You can get your, I get my vitamin D somewhere else. Vitamin D's nuts. How about that shit, son? The, the, the summer can suck my dick and the world can suck my dick. And on that note, I, I think I'm going to debut uh, some of my beginnings of a, of a new song for you and, and it's inspired by uh, uh my guy luciano Pavarotti. shout out to him r.i.p too uh, i hope you're playing with the biggest titties in heaven right now uh, i mean that is if that is your thing but <clears throat> here we go the world can suck my dick the world can suck my dick the world is sick the world is shit that's why it can suck my dick the world can suck okay yeah so I, I think you get the idea um but definitely the world can suck my dick as well as the sun that that beams on it on my back all the fucking time every june july in august depending on where you live going into september yeah all of that and really I, i'm sounding the fuck off because that's one of the reasons i made this podcast because it serves as a journal a diary so i can release the summer is overrated i, I really feel like most adults my age uh, middle age and getting there and even after what's your favorite season I think I'd be hard pressed to hear any of those motherfuckers say summer because most people who are my age have children and they've got to see those motherfuckers more in the summer and it's hotter and you're dealing with these fucking damn nappy headed ass kids and they always smell like outside with their little pee pee hands. Yeah. And even for us who don't have kids, it's just hotter and the only sport you're providing us summer is goddamn motherfucking baseball i don't give a fuck about soccer fuck that foot hockey and i you know i appreciate baseball i'm a fan go guardians go reds but because of my line of work it just i'm over it i'm really over it i could be covering my own team and if they're the away team, I'm like, come on, home team. One less half inning I got to fucking do. Speaking of my job, I'm really fucking fed up. I'm not going to name the name of the company because I don't want to put myself in too much of a harm's way, but I got to speak on some shit. It's just goddamn frustrating with me. The fact that this glass ceiling I'm breaking my head with. I'm breaking my head, my, my balding scalp on this glass ceiling i've been doing this master control thing for the better part of the past 10 years 
have over a decade of experience in doing this exact thing. I went up for a promotion. I, I went up to be a supervisor back in January. We had that interview in January. And actually, I think I put in my application for that role in December. Either way, I remember by the time of the interview, Bob Saget was still fucking alive. So if that's a frame of reference for you. So I had this interview back in early fucking January and unbeknownst to me, it was going to be several months before they even made a selection. But halfway through that several months, I told them to just nick Steve from the list. I am done giving a fuck about it. How dare you just have me hanging and waiting for this fucking long? All right. They said, say less. So here we are. They eventually, after doing having an interview with me in January, they finally picked someone in April. I've met the new supervisor. Uh, he seems like a swell guy. Uh, I have no problems with the new supervisor. He's just trying to do better for himself and his life and family, just like Steve tried to do. But how fucking dare you? I come in do what I'm asked. I come in on time. And a lot of times I come in earlier than when I'm scheduled and the motherfuckers just left me hanging. And the excuse, the reason why things just got drawn out for so long, they didn't have enough candidates. They did not have any other candidates. We're waiting. We're still waiting on candidates, man. All those candidates, just like the rest of this world and the sun that beams on my back and my hot ass Nissan and my leather seats can suck my fucking dick. Okay. I don't give a fuck if y'all didn't have enough candidates. I'm here right now in this department. You see me on a regular, on a day-to-day -day basis. I come in, I do what I'm asked. I stay the fuck out of people's way. I'm very fucking respectful. I go above and beyond for this company. I switch places with people just so they can live their best life in the summertime, in the springtime and shit. And I don't ask for nothing back. Sometimes I don't even ask to fucking switch shifts. Oh, you need that shift off? I'll just consider it overtime. Use your PTO, buddy. I got you. Steve, Big Daddy Steve's got you. But no, they didn't register any of that bullshit because they just left me hanging. They let me do this fucking interview thinking, oh, yeah, man, I was so impressed with your fucking responses. Blip, 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 blip. They had me doing this shit in early January when Danny Tanner was still alive and well. We're dragging out into the early parts of spring. And the reason you said you fucking took so long is because you didn't have candidates. How about this fly shit, lying ass boss guy? How about this fucking shit? I've seen candidates for the fucking Senate, for the U.S. Senate, when it was just them. They didn't have any candidates. It was just them in the running. And that didn't stop the process of selection. No, it sure the fuck did not. It could be the candidate that they could have had was murdered. It could have been just nobody wanted to sign up for the fucking position. And then the U.S. would be just like, hey, here's a whole fucking state. You're going to be the next senator for 2020, blah, 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 blah. They gave senators whole fucking states to look over and be responsible for because they didn't have candidates. So why? Why? In my Nancy Kerrigan voice, why? Do you think this should be any different? You think I can't overlook a fucking department just because I didn't have enough candidates to compare to? Man, fucking eat a dick. <sighs> Oh my God. And I am so, I'm protecting names. I'm saving names to protect the innocent because this is just how I currently feel. This summer has really sucked. And that's why this summer can suck my dick. Drinking game for every time I say suck my dick. I know I'm going to take me a shot of glorious margarita at your nearest Publix. Ah, that's a tasty treat. But yeah, that happened. So I'm, I'm basically still operating in sports television. 
And uh, if my boss doesn't hear this or overhear this and feels a certain way, uh, I will continue just being that because that's all I know. All my life, I had to fight and be an operator and I could count back from 10 and I can spell the three. Oh, I fucking hate people. Did I ever tell y'all that? Just more problems with this car. Uh, and also, I, I just I hate stupid shit. The motherfucker, when I had to get a tire, I, I found the fucking off the beaten path. You, you got to go on the second, third page of Google fucking tire shop who could get the shit for the low, 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 low. And obviously, I'm coming there with, with a fucked up tire. And they have a recycled tire fee. I shit you not. Everybody in this fucking town is trying to get over on somebody anytime, every time. They had a recycled tire fee and, I, and it was like five or six dollars. It's like, motherfucker, you might as well include that in the tire. What the fuck else? You, do you think they're just going to keep their tire and start eating on it when things get really hard in life and start eating the fucking tire threads? You think this is like one of those uh, weirdest fucking obsessions or, or weird strange habits that you might see on one of those fucking cable channel shows fuck you what, what you think i want to keep this tire to take pictures with no motherfucker of course i want you to take this tire okay i'll pay your five six dollar fucking fee why is that even a fucking fee like everything should be all inclusive who the fuck wants to hold on to that tire there's absolutely nothing you can do with it all right not even play fucking hoops with it. You can't even make a makeshift rim with it because it's a fucked up whole fucking bubbly fucking tire, okay? There's not like, okay, enough about my car, enough about my fucking car. But you know, last Sunday, apparently it was announced that Big Sean and Janae Aiko will be expecting their first child. Great for them, suck my dick. On July 6, Eric Holder was convicted on first-degree murder charges for the murder of Nipsey Hussle after Holder's trial had started on June 2nd. And I guess he's been getting beat up by the inmates, as he should. Uh, Nipsey Hussle is the man of the people. He was a man of the people. He cared about his community. He wanted to uplift his people, man. Uh, and not enough of our people had the same wavelength of thinking that Nipsey Hussle had. Uh, they always say the best ones are taken out way too soon and eric holder jr you dumb piece of shit i hope you get raped by a pack of niggas and i feel bad saying that because i got that reference from mel gibson's racist ass but damn it, it's such a poignant way of getting your point across to a motherfucker when you tell them i hope you get raped by a pack of niggas like you, i really don't think you can illustrate how much somebody could fuck off worse than saying i hope you get raped by a pack of niggas and eric holder jr i'm sure wherever you're being held whether in cali somewhere some prison somewhere somewhere out there in this world i hope you get raped by a pack of niggas eric holder jr and also fuck you mel gibson for even saying that in the first place and for me learning how great of a fucking statement that is to say to somebody i don't think you came up with that because you're so clever and you're you're a very witty person no i feel like you said that through years of perspiration and practice and you came up with that one and you you definitely drilled the point home but at the same time fuck you but on friday Coda the Friend released Memo, and I'm a fan of Coda the Friend. He uh, He's not necessarily a clean rapper. He's not like Will Smith or no shit like that. I believe he uses profanity, but he does use a lot of soft-ass beats, uh, a lot of acoustic. Just about every track on Memo is an acoustic, but the man got bars. Coda the Friend, he's a, a new millennial of sorts, and I'm a fan. Uh, if you like that... Uh, groove theory-esque kind of hip-hop that uh kumbaya not necessarily black eyed peas but uh more so like um uh, arrested development meets drake uh, i don't know that's probably not the best but memo i liked if you like good hip-hop let's just put it that way i like good hip-hop i like code of the friend i listen to memo and i really added about 
uh, more than half of this album to my playlist. Uh, I guess I'm a kumbaya rap loving motherfucker, uh, but also I'm a trap rap loving motherfucker. And I love when motherfuckers talk about pistol whipping motherfuckers and selling cocaine. And on with that, Westside Gun releases his latest album, Peace Fly God. And yes, I added every track every fucking track of peace fly god to my playlist because that's where i'm at in life when it comes to anyone griselda ish not just griselda but griselda ish if you are a constant collaborator with anyone of from west side gun conway the machine or benny the butcher the butcher coming nickel any of those fellas if you are a frequent collaborator you're instantly going into Steve G's playlist, just like every track in Peace Fly God. Because if you don't know about Griselda now, you don't know about hip hop. You don't fuck with hip hop. You're not a true purist. <laughs> and uh, yeah, before I carry on, I got to say, Kyrie Irving, you can eat a dick as well. Um, you know, I, I talk about you a lot in just about every episode, every, or at least every other episode, but really, dude, the, the fact that you want to go to Los Angeles right now and play for the Lakers, it just shows how much of a grown-ass crybaby bitch boy that you are. I really do not like you as a person, man. You, you want to sound like this sage uh, character. You want to sound as if you have all of this wisdom, this profound wisdom for your age, when really, in actuality, you're a one semester Duke dropout. What the fuck? Shut the fuck up. And I, I really, I feel bad saying this, but in his instance, dude, shut up and dribble. Just shut the fuck up and dribble, because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You, you come across as a just confused ex-girlfriend. You had the best boyfriend of your life, the best that you will ever, you had the best motherfucker that you will ever have in your life when you played for the team that drafted your little dumbass. When you played for those Cleveland Cavaliers, the best teammate in your whole fucking life, whether it was in the fucking little leagues where you were playing the fucking AAU or fucking any of that shit, fucking Duke, any of those fuckers at Duke, for coach any of those motherfuckers the best teammate that you ever had in your goddamn so-called three-eyed life lebron raymond james i said that shit cavalier nation said that shit i think anyone with two fucking eyes and a fucking brain who watched basketball around this time could have told you that shit but no i'm just the all-seeing Kyrie. i know i'm so above the wave i'm ahead of the curve of, over anybody i know better than anyone kevin durant's my favorite teammate he's gonna be the best teammate i'll ever have all right you dumb son of a bitch how about your best your favorite teammate that you have in brooklyn with the nets how about that motherfucker don't even give a fuck about none of that shit and he's trying to get traded somewhere else outside of brooklyn whether you come with them or not so now now that your new bae your your new boo don't give a fuck about you like how apparently you give a fuck about them now you trying to hey big head how you do you remember me oh yeah we we won in 2016 i made that shot you had the block and yeah you trying to come around the corner and shit like a fucking beat up fucking ex fuck you Kyrie and lebron man i know you want to get that fifth ring i want you to get that fifth ring but not with this goofball just like Cat Williams said to that fucking DJ, that radio DJ, goofball. I, I want you to get that fifth ring so at least you can tie Duncan and Kobe. But Kyrie Irving, I hope you never get a fucking ring. Again. But all things July 10th. In 1964, the Beatles release A Hard Day's Night, their third studio album. In 1978, World News Tonight premieres on ABC with Max Robinson, the first black anchor on a network newscast in the U.S. In 1979, Chuck Berry sentenced to four months for $200,000 in tax evasion. Jam. In 1984, prolific studio drummer Jim Gordon convicted of murdering his mother and sentenced to 16 years to life in prison. 
Diagnosed with schizophrenia after the killing, he is serving time in a medical psychiatric prison and has been denied parole 10 times as of 2018. In 1985, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome premiered in theaters with that racist-ass Molly Gibson. And on that same day in 85, Playboy and also Penthouse published nude pictures of Madonna. And uh, for those who didn't experience Madonna in the 80s or experienced the 80s, Madonna was that bitch. In 1987, Full Metal Jacket premiered in theaters. Oh my God, the quotables from that. And on that same day, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise premiered. In 1990, Andrew Dice Clay cries on Arsenio Hall show. He basically had a meltdown. I think he was just getting sick of the criticism of his act. He had this very misogynistic act. And uh, the shit made me laugh. I mean, I, at the same time, it was 1990. And it's it's time to be politically correct. It's not the 1950s anymore. Like, uh, yeah, but also he might have cried because of the adventures of Ford Fairlane, the, the movie that he was promoting at the time. It, it tanked in the office. 1992, Cool World premiered in theaters starring a young Brad Pitt. It was kind of like a uh, crossover at animation and live action. It, critics didn't like it, but it was pioneering in a way. Ralph Bakshi was the director. Shout out to Ralph Bakshi. Something that I definitely fuck with was Universal Soldier, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Jean-Claude Van Damme, one of the greatest kick-ass motherfucking action heroes in Hollywood history. But that's just my take. What do I know? I'm just a nigga with the podcast. 1993, there was a show called Brains and Brawn that debuted on NBC on Saturday mornings. And it was a game show hosted by Mark Paul Gosler, Mr. Zach Morris himself, and his co-host was Tatiana Ali. And I, I might have seen this in glances. It, it's something that I definitely wasn't checking for, but, you know, I'm a fan of both. And uh, yeah, that was a thing in 1993. In 1996, Nickelodeon releases its first feature film, Harriet the Spy, a spy comedy drama film based on the 1964 novel of the same name. It also launches the career of then-child actress Michelle Trachtenberg. Shout out to her. Got some nice titties. In 1998, Lethal Weapon 4 starring that racist-ass Melly Gibson's again. And Danny Glover. It also had Joe Pesci, Rene Russo, Chris Rock, and Jet Li. <laughs> On that same day in 98, the movie Pi. And it's the character, the Chinese character of Pi. That's, that's how it's, the title looks. And it's directed by Darren Aronofsky. He, he does a lot of offshoot kind of deals. Also in 98, Small Soldiers premiered in theaters, and that's a cult classic. Um, I still see those characters, those, those toy figures around, and it's 2022. In the year 2000, Heavy Metal 2000 premiered in theaters, somewhat of a cult classic. Uh, or, yeah, I guess if you smoke weed. And uh, on that same day in 2000, Coldplay releases the album Parachutes. In 2001, Killer Priest releases the album Priesthood. P. Diddy and the Bad Boy Family releases The Saga Continues. And Corrupt releases Space Boogie, Smoke Odyssey. In 2006, Tom York of the band Radiohead releases his solo album, The Eraser. I remember buying that because I worked at Best Buy at the time uh, so we can get discounts. And I'm a big Radiohead fan. It's not bad, but you gotta be a fan of Radiohead. Disclaimer. On that same day in 06, Terrence and Roxy are the winners from BET's New Faces talent search, and they become the new hosts of 106 in Park, replacing the former hosts Big Tigger and Jalissa. In 2007, the Smashing Pumpkins release Zeitgeist. <sighs> Just didn't hit the same. In 2009, Bruno, the movie Bruno, premieres in theaters, and Sasha Baron Cohen, he's a national treasure, and he's not even from this fucking country. In 2012, Frank Ocean releases Channel Orange, and Serge Tankian from the band System of a Down releases Harakiri. Yeah, never listened to it, but I love me some System of a Down. In 2018, Drake surpasses the Beatles' record of most singles in Billboard Hot 100 with seven against their five from his album Scorpion. In 2019, Taylor Swift is named the world's highest paid entertainer by Forbes, earning $185 million in 2018. Yeah, great for you. Suck my dick. 
but more important to me than all of that fucking Shiite, in 1981, Escape from New York premiered in theaters, directed by John Carpenter and starring Kurt Russell and Donald Pleasance. Yes, Escape from New York, I talk about cult classics a lot because I guess that's the nature of this podcast, one of the natures, but this cult classic, Escape from New York, they had a sequel, they had comic books, they have video game characters based off of Kurt Russell's character. And you know something else? I'm going to say this shit right now. Kurt Russell is one of the Hollywood badasses that doesn't get talked about enough and I'm fucking fed up about it. Like seriously, just think about it. Motherfucker was a child actor in Disney movies, and this was Disney movies in the 60s and 70s when they had to be really fucking G-rated. They couldn't even say crap back in those days. That you went from this milk toast ass cookie cutter fucking image. You basically got brought up like one of those Mickey Mouse Club motherfuckers. You go from that to being this blockbuster badass action fucking star dude like that's just there's levels to this shit word to meek mills man today in sports history in 1934, the second All-Star Baseball game is held. The American League wins 9-7 at Polo Grounds, New York City. In 1936, Phillies' Chuck Klein becomes the fourth person to hit four home runs in a game. In 1951, the 18th All-Star Baseball game is held. The National League wins 8-3 at Briggs Stadium in Detroit. In 1956, the 23rd All-Star Baseball game is held. National League wins again, 7-3 at Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. In 1962, the 32nd All-Star Baseball game is held. National League wins 3-1 at D.C. Stadium in Washington. In 1990, the 61st All-Star Baseball game is held. The AL wins 2-0 at Wrigley Field in Chicago. The All-Star MVP is Julio Franco of the Texas Rangers. In 2001, the 72nd All-Star Baseball game is held. The AL wins 4-1 at Safeco Field in Seattle. In 2007, the 78th All-Star Baseball game is held. The AL wins 5-4 at AT&T Park in San Francisco. And in 2012, the 83rd All-Star Baseball game is held. The NL wins 8-zip at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. And that was my half-assed sports report. Coming up, I'm going to talk about the film Escape from New York as it premiered on this day in 1981. We'll be black after these messages. I think I hear him shooting, they treat me like I'm half mutant I redesign internal workings of revolutions Noise polluting, convoluted riot looters Religious zealots, hail Mary's hallelujahs I'm crafted to be callous, no laughter for your malice They wanna catch me sleeping like for Hampton on a mattress A walking target practice, black lives matter I'm on a stairway to heaven reaching for a ladder Public enemy number one, under the sun I was born coming out of the womb Under a gun, elephant in the middle Taking up all the room Couldn't walk down the streets For the neighborhood platoons Back into the time frame Following the present History repeats itself Teaching us an early lesson Cause they weren't no citizens Boarding out immigrants Securing the homeland Warriors are chilling Pass the torch Pass the torch to me brother Pass the torch to me brother They trying to burn us down Passing the torch Passing the torch to my brother, passing the torch to my brother, don't let him burn us down. Pass the torch. Pass the torch. Freedom is just a sensation, wrapped in glorification, force-feeding complacence, teach the sheep to be patient, and expands generations, a great deception we're facing, a salute to Freemasons, one 
nation under surveillance That's a harsh realization They just waiting to touch you Ain't no need to confront you They got you right where they want you Cops are corporate Gestapo Flex their arms to enforce It's open season on villains Killing civilians for sport A government for the people Long as we just keep calm Millions of voices ignored Is it not clear something's wrong? They like a devil the doors All we need is a window Symphony of injustice About to reach its crescendo Remember Freddie Gray Tamir Rice Eric Garner Jordan Baker Arthur Sterling Tans Crutcher Many lives destroyed by hatred Light a candle for Philando Cops blush sides like Rambo Who ain't gonna stand up Bust back if y'all fed up Say fuck that Torch Pass the torch to me brother Pass the torch to me brother They trying to burn us down Passing the torch Passing the torch to my brother Passing the torch to my brother Don't let them burn us down Pass the torch That you serve or protect As my head is on a curb And you standing on my neck Say my name for these shady plans Built from hollow laws It won't mimic the old days of holocaust Say my name for the victims of the jurisdiction Those depicted as criminals Spitting your description Say my name for the misunderstood common man For women abused, mistreated Just like Sandra Bland Say my name for those locked in the war zone Those exposed up in cold Just like Corey Jones Say my name for those deleted at your discretion Just be prepared and aware For the resurrection special mention to those no longer with us. Last Wednesday, we lost American actor James Kahn. Born James Edmund Kahn on March 26, 1940 in New York City, he's known for his many film and television performances. He was nominated for several entertainment industry awards, including for an Academy Award, two Primetime Emmy Awards, and four Golden Globe Awards. Kahn was awarded a motion picture star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1978. After early roles in Howard Hawks' El Dorado, Robert Altman's Countdown, and Francis Ford Coppola's The Rain People, he came to prominence playing Sonny Corleone in Coppola's The Godfather in 1972, a performance which earned him an Academy Award and Golden Globe nominations for Best Supporting Actor. He reprised his role in The Godfather II in 1974. Khan gained acclaim for his portrayal of Brian Piccolo in the 1971 television movie Brian's Song for which he received a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series or Movie Nomination. Khan received Golden Globe Award nominations for his performances in the drama The Gambler and the musical Funny Lady. He continued to receive significant roles in feature films such as Cinderella, Liberty, Rollerball, A Bridge Too Far, and Comes a Horseman in Chapter 2. His work since the 80s was sporadic, with other performances including Thief, Gardens of Stone, Misery, Honeymoon in Vegas, Bottle Rocket, 
Mickey Blue Eyes, The Yards, City of Ghosts, Elf, and Get Smart. Khan died in Los Angeles on July 6, 2022, at the age of 82. Tributes to Khan were paid by Rob Reiner, Francis Ford Coppola, Barbara Streisand, Al Pacino, and Adam Sandler, among others. On Friday, we lost American actor and comedian Larry Storch. Born Lawrence Samuel Storch on January 8, 1923 in New York City, he's best known for his comic television roles, including voiceover work for cartoon shows such as Mr. Whoopi on Tennessee Tuxedo and his tales, and his live-action role of the bumbling Corporal Randolph Agarn on F Troop. Storch died in his sleep at his home on the Upper West Side of Manhattan on July 8, 2022, at the age of 99. At the time of his death, he was believed to be the last surviving regular cast member of F Troop. Also on Friday, we lost American actor Tony Sirico. Born Gennaro Anthony Sirico Jr. on July 29, 1942 in New York City, he's best known for his role as Paulie Walnuts Galtieri in The Sopranos. He also made numerous appearances in the films of Woody Allen. Sirico died at an assistant living facility in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on July 8, 2022, three weeks before his 80th birthday. No cause was given, but he had been diagnosed with dementia some years before his death. American basketball referee Hugh Evans is another one we lost on Friday. Born in 1941, and he was an NBA referee for 28 seasons from 1972 to 2001. During his NBA officiating career, Evans worked 1,969 regular season NBA games and 35 NBA Finals games. During the 1995-96 NBA season, Evans was ranked the second best official in the league by coaches, general managers, and NBA senior vice president, basketball operations, Rod Thorne. His final game was game four of the 2001 NBA Finals, played at the Wachovia Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on June 13, 2001. Evans wore the uniform number 25 during his career in the NBA. Before his death, he served as an assistant supervisor of officials in the NBA front office. Evans died on July 8, 2022, at the age of 81. Johnny Grunge was an American professional wrestler. Born Michael Lynn Durham on July 10, 1966 in Sulphur, Louisiana, he's known for his appearances with Eastern or Extreme Championship Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, and World Wrestling Federation as one half of the tag team The Public Enemy with Rocco Rock. In the course of his career, Grunge held championships such as the ECW World Tag Team Championship and WCW World Tag Team Championship. Grunge died on February 16, 2006 in his residence in Peachtree City, Georgia as a result of sleep apnea complications, which was most likely caused by a coronary artery blockage due to obesity. He was 39 years old. Other reports say he was visiting a friend at the time of his death, where he was unable to breathe. He was morbidly obese and had ingested a huge quantity of soma pills that were prescribed by Dr. Phil Aston. Sandy West was an American musician, singer, songwriter, and drummer. Born on July 10, 1959 in Long Beach, California, she was one of the founding members of The Runaways, the first teenage all-girl hard rock band to record and achieve widespread commercial success in the 1970s. West died on October 21, 2006 at the age of 47 from lung cancer, diagnosed a year before. Ron Glass was an American actor. Born Ronald Earl Glass on July 10, 1945 in Evansville, Indiana, he was known for his roles as literary detective Ron Harris in the television sitcom Barney Miller from 1975 to 1982, and as the spiritual shepherd, Shepherd Book, in the science fiction series Firefly and its sequel film Serenity. Glass never married, was a devout Buddhist and a member of Soka Gaki International. He died of respiratory failure on November 25, 2016, at the age of 71. He is interred at the Rose Hills Memorial Park in Whittier, California. Arthur Ashe was an American professional tennis player. Born Arthur Robert Ashe Jr. on July 10, 1943 in Richmond, Virginia, he started to play tennis at the age of six years old. 
and he was the first black player selected to the United States Davis Cup team and the only black man ever to win the singles title at the Wimbledon, the US Open and the Australian Open. He retired in 1980, but he was ranked world number one in 1975. Ash also was awarded the Martini and Rossi Award, voted for by a panel of journalists and the ATP Player of the Year Award. In the ATP computer rankings, he peaked at number two in May of 1976. Ash is believed to have contracted HIV from a blood transfusion he received during heart bypass surgery in 1983. He publicly announced his illness in April of 1992 and began working to educate others about HIV and AIDS. He funded the Arthur Ashe Foundation for the Defeat of AIDS and the Arthur Ashe Institute for Urban Health before his death from AIDS-related pneumonia at the age of 49 on February 6, 1993. On June 20th of that year, he was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by United States President Bill Clinton. Ronnie James Dio was an American heavy metal singer and songwriter. Born Ronald James Padovona on July 10, 1942 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, he fronted or founded numerous groups throughout his career, including Elf, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, Dio, and Heaven and Hell. In 1975, Deep Purple guitarist Richie Blackmore founded the band Rainbow and hired Dio to be his lead singer. During his tenure, the band released three studio albums. Dio quickly emerged as one of heavy rock's preeminent vocalists. In 1979, Dio replaced Ozzy Osbourne as Black Sabbath's lead singer and appeared on three studio albums with the band, all three of which were met with success, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and Dehumanizer. In 1982, he left to form the band Dio, which itself had two albums certified platinum by the RIAA. In 2006, he founded the band Heaven and Hell with ex-bandmate Tony Iommi. In November 2009, Dio was diagnosed with stomach cancer and died of the disease six months later. He was 67 at the time of his death. Fred Gwynn was an American actor, artist, and author. Born Frederick Hubbard Gwynn on July 10, 1926 in New York City, he was best known for his roles in the 1960s television sitcoms Car 54 Where Are You as Francis Muldoon and as Herman Munster in The Munsters, as well as his later film roles in The Cotton Club, Pet Cemetery, and My Cousin Vinny. Gwen died of complications from pancreatic cancer in the cigar room at his home in Taneytown, Maryland on July 2, 1993, eight days short of his 67th birthday. He is buried in an unmarked grave at Sandy Mount United Methodist Church Cemetery in Finksburg, Maryland. Bobo Brazil was an American professional wrestler. Born Houston Harris on July 10, 1924 in Little Rock, Arkansas, he's credited with breaking down barriers of racial segregation in professional wrestling. Harris is considered one of the first successful African-American professional wrestlers. Harris died on January 20, 1998 at the Lakeland Medical Center in St. Joseph, Michigan. He had been admitted to the hospital on January 14th and used a wheelchair after suffering a series of strokes. Jake LaMotta was an American professional boxer. Born Giacobbe Jake LaMotta on July 10, 1922 in Manhattan, New York, he was a world middleweight champion between 1949 and 1951. Nicknamed the Bronx Bull or Raging Bull, LaMotta was a rough fighter who was not a particularly big puncher, but he would subject his opponents to vicious beatings in the ring. With use of constant stalking, brawling, and inside fighting, he developed the reputation for being a bully. He was what is often referred to today as a swarmer and a slugger. Due to his hard style of fighting, LaMotta often took in as much as he dished out in an era of great middleweights. With a thick skull and jaw muscles, LaMotta was able to absorb incredible amounts of punishment over the course of his career and is thought to have one of the greatest chins in boxing history. LaMotta's six-fight rivalry with Sugar Ray Robinson was one of the most notable in the sport. Although each fight was close and LaMotta dropped Robinson to the canvas multiple times, LaMotta won only one of the bouts. LaMotta, who lived a turbulent life in and out of the ring, was managed by his brother Joey. He was ranked 52nd on Ring Magazine's list of the 80 best fighters of the last 80 years, 
and also ranked among its list of 10 greatest middleweights of all time. Lamada was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in the inaugural class of 1990. Lamada's autobiography was adapted into the 1980 Martin Scorsese film Raging Bull. It went on to be nominated for eight Academy Awards, with Robert De Niro winning Best Actor for his portrayal of Lamada. Lamada died on September 19, 2017, from complications of pneumonia in a nursing home in Florida at the age of 95. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1981, Escape from New York premiered in theaters. Escape from New York is an American science fiction action film co-written, co-scored, and directed by John Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Lee Van Cleef, Donald Pleasance, Ernest Borgnine, Isaac Hayes, Adrian Barbeau, and Harry Dean Stanton. The film's storyline, set in the near-future world of 1997, concerns a crime-ridden United States, which has converted Manhattan Island in New York City into the country's sole maximum security prison. Air Force One is hijacked by anti-government insurgents who deliberately crash it into New York City. Ex-soldier and current federal prisoner, Snake Plissken, is given just 24 hours to go in and rescue the President of the United States, after which, if successful, he will be pardoned. Carpenter wrote the film in the mid-1970s in reaction to the Watergate scandal. After the success of Halloween in 1978, he had enough influence to begin production and filmed it mainly in St. Louis, Missouri, on an estimated budget of $6 million. Deborah Hill and Larry J. Franco served as the producers. The film was co-written by Nick Castle, who had collaborated with Carpenter by portraying Michael Myers in Halloween. The film received positive reviews from critics and was a commercial success, grossing more than $25.2 million at the box office. The film was nominated for four Saturn Awards, including Best Science Fiction Film and Best Direction. The film became a cult classic and was followed by a sequel, Escape from L.A. in 1996, which was also directed and written by Carpenter and starred Russell, but was much less favorably received. In a dystopian 1988, amidst total war against an alliance of China and the Soviet Union, the United States government has turned Manhattan into a giant maximum security prison to deal with a 400% increase in crime. A 50-foot wall surrounds the island, bridges have been mined, and rivers are patrolled by helicopters, and all prisoners are sentenced to life terms. In 1997, while flying President John Harker to a peace summit in Hartford, Air Force One is hijacked by a guerrilla fighter of the National Liberation Front of America, posing as the stewardess. Unable to regain control, Secret Service agents attach a tracking device to the president's arm and handcuff him to a briefcase of sensitive documents before putting him in the plane's escape pod. The aircraft crashes while the pod is ejected. Police are dispatched to rescue the president. Romero, the right-hand man of the Duke of New York, a powerful crime boss, shows them a severed finger with the president's ring and warns that he will be killed if any further rescue attempts are made. Meanwhile, former Special Forces soldier Snake Plissken is about to be sent into Manhattan after being convicted of robbing the Federal Reserve. Police Commissioner Bob Hoke offers a deal to Snake. If he rescues the president in time for the summit, Hoke will arrange a full presidential pardon. To keep Snake from going rogue, Hulk has him injected with micro-explosives that will sever his arteries in 22 hours. If Snake is successful, Hulk will neutralize the explosives. Using a stealth glider to land atop the World Trade Center, Snake follows the president's tracker to a vaudeville theater, only to find it on the wrist of a deluded vagrant. Convinced the president is dead, Snake radios Hulk, but is told that he will be shot down if he returns without the president. Inspecting the escape pod, Snake is ambushed by dozens of starving crazies and accidentally drops and destroys his radio while trying to flee. He is rescued by Cabby, a jovial old man who drives an armored taxi. Cabby takes Snake to Harold Brain Hellman, an advisor to the Duke and a former associate of Snake's. Brain, a brilliant engineer, has established a small gasoline refinery 
fueling the city's remaining cars, and tells Snake that the Duke plans to lead a mass escape across the Queensboro Bridge by using the President as a human shield and following a landmine map that Brain has drawn up. Snake forces Brain and his girlfriend Maggie to lead him to the Duke's hideout at Grand Central Terminal. Snake finds the President but gets shot in the leg with a crossbow bolt and overpowered by the Duke's men. While Snake is forced to fight in a deathmatch against Duke's champion Slag, Brain and Maggie kill Romero and flee with the President. Snake kills Slag and finds Brain, Maggie, and the President at the top of the World Trade Center trying to escape the glider. The inmates drop it off the roof so the group returns to the street level and encounters Cabby who offers to take them across the bridge. Cabby reveals he bartered with Romero for the contents of the briefcase, a cassette tape which contains information about nuclear fusion intended to be an international peace offering. The president demands the tape, but Snake claims it. The Duke pursues them onto the bridge in his customized Cadillac, setting off mines as he tries to catch up. Brain guides Snake, but they hit a mine, and Cabby is killed. As they continue on foot, Brain accidentally stumbles into another mine. A distraught Maggie sacrifices herself to slow down the Duke, Snake and President reach the containment wall, and guards hoist the President up. The Duke opens fire with Snake's MAC-10, killing the guards before Snake subdues him. He attempts to shoot Snake as he is being lifted up by the rope, but the President takes up a dead guard's rifle, violently guns down the Duke, and hoists Snake to safety. Hawk's doctor saves Snake's life with just seconds to spare. As the president prepares for a televised speech to the leaders at the summit meeting, he thanks Snake and tells him that he can have anything he wants. Snake then asks how he feels about the people who died saving his life. The president offers only half-hearted regret and lip service for their sacrifice, and Snake walks away in disgust. An impressed hawk offers him a job as his deputy, but Snake just keeps walking. The president's live speech commences, and he plays the cassette tape. To his embarrassment, it only plays Cabby's favorite song, Bandstand Boogie. As Snake walks away a free man, he tears the magnetic strip out of the real tape. Carpenter originally wrote the screenplay for Escape from New York in 1976 in the aftermath of Nixon's Watergate scandal. Carpenter said the whole feeling of the nation was one of a real cynicism about the president. He wrote the screenplay, but no studio wanted to make it because, according to Carpenter, it was too violent, too scary, and too weird. He had been inspired by the film Death Wish, which was popular at the time. He did not agree with this film's philosophy, but liked how it conveyed the sense of New York as a kind of jungle, and I wanted to make a science fiction film along these lines. Avco Embassy Pictures, the film's financial backer, preferred either Charles Bronson or Tommy Lee Jones to play the role of Snake Plissken to Carpenter's choice of Kurt Russell, who was trying to overcome the lightweight screen image conveyed by his roles in several Disney comedies. Carpenter refused to cast Bronson on the grounds that he was too old and because he worried that he could lose directorial control over the film with an experienced actor. At the time, Russell described his character as a mercenary, and his style of fighting is a combination of Bruce Lee, The Exterminator, and Darth Vader, with Eastwood's vocalness. All that matters to Snake, according to the actor, is the next 60 seconds. Living for exactly that next minute is all there is. Russell used a rigorous diet and exercise program to develop a lean and muscular build. He also endeavored to stay in character between takes and throughout the shooting, as he welcomed the opportunity to get away from the Disney comedies he had previously done. He did find it necessary to remove the eye patch between takes, as wearing it constantly seriously affected his depth perception. Carpenter had just made Dark Star, but no one wanted to hire him as a director, so he assumed he would make it in Hollywood as a screenwriter. The filmmaker went on to do other films with the intention of making Escape later. After the success of Halloween, Avco Embassy signed producer Deborah Hill and him to a two-picture deal. The first film from this contract was The Fog. Initially, the second film he was going to make to finish the contract was The Philadelphia Experiment, but because of script writing problems, Carpenter rejected it in favor of this project. However, Carpenter felt something was missing and recalls this was basically a straight action film 
And at one point, I realized it really doesn't have this kind of crazy humor that people from New York would expect to see. He brought in Nick Castle, a friend from his film school days at University of Southern California, who played The Shape in Halloween. Castle invented the cabbie character and came up with the film's ending. The film's setting proved to be a potential problem for Carpenter, who needed to create a decaying, semi-destroyed version of New York City on a shoestring budget. The film's production designer, Joe Alves, and he rejected shooting on location in New York City because it would have been too hard to make it look like a destroyed city. Carpenter suggested shooting on a movie backlot, and Alves nixed that idea, because the texture of a real street is not like a backlot. They sent Barry Bernardi, their location manager and associate producer, on a sort of all-expense-paid trip across the country looking for the worst city in America, producer Deborah Hill remembers. Bernardi suggested East St. Louis, Illinois, because it was filled with old buildings that exist in New York now and that they have seedy, rundown quality that the team was looking for. East St. Louis, sitting across the Mississippi River from the more prosperous St. Louis, Missouri, had entire neighborhoods burned out in 1976 during a massive urban fire. Hill said in an interview, block after block was burnt out rubble. In some places, there was absolutely nothing so that you could see three and four blocks away. Carpenter and his crew persuaded the city to shut off the electricity to 10 blocks at a time at night. The film was shot from August to November of 1980. It was a tough and demanding shoot for the filmmaker. As he recalls, we'd finish shooting at about 6 a.m. and I'd be going to sleep at 7 when the sun would be coming up. I'd wake up around 5 or 6 p.m. depending on whether or not we had dailies and by the time I got going, the sun would be setting. So for about two and a half months, I never saw daylight, which was really strange. The gladiator fight to the death scene between Snake and Slag, played by the professional wrestler Ox Baker, was filmed in the Grand Hall at St. Louis Union Station. Russell has stated, that day was a nightmare. All I did was swing a spike bat at that guy and get swung at in return. He threw a trash can in my face about five times. I could have wound up in pretty bad shape. In New York City, Carpenter persuaded federal officials to grant access to Liberty Island. We were the first film company in history allowed to shoot on Liberty Island at the Statue of Liberty at night. They let us have the whole island to ourselves. We were lucky. It wasn't easy to get that initial permission. They'd had a bombing three months earlier and were worried about trouble. Carpenter was interested in creating two distinct looks for the movie. One is the police state, high-tech, lots of neon, a United States dominated by underground computers. That was easy to shoot compared to the Manhattan Island prison sequences, which had few lights, mainly torch lights, like Fugil Eagling. Certain matte paintings were rendered by James Cameron, who was at the time a special effects artist with Roger Corman's New World Pictures. Cameron was also one of the directors of photography on the film. As snake pilots, the gliders into the city, Three screens on his control panel display wireframe animations of the landing target on the World Trade Center and surrounding buildings. Carpenter wanted high-tech computer graphics, which were very expensive, even such a simple animation. The effects crew filmed the miniature model set of New York City used for other scenes under blacklight, which reflected tape placed along every edge of the model buildings. Only the tape is visible and appears to be a three-dimensional wireframe animation. Escape from New York opened in New York and Los Angeles on July 10, 1981. The film grossed $25.2 million in American theaters in the summer of 1981. The film received generally positive reviews. Newsweek magazine wrote of Carpenter, he has a deeply ingrained B-movie sensibility, which is both his strength and limitation. He does clean work, but settles for too little. He uses Russell well, however. In Time magazine, Richard Corliss wrote, John Carpenter is offering this summer's moviegoers a rare opportunity to escape from the air-conditioned torpor of ordinary entertainment into the hothouse humidity of their own paranoia. It's a trip worth taking. Vincent Camby, in his review for the New York Times, wrote, The film is not to be analyzed too solemnly, though. It's a toughly told, very tall tale, one of the best escape and escapist movies of the season. On the other hand, in his negative review for the Chicago Reader, critic David Kerr wrote, It fails to satisfy. It gives us too little of too much. Christopher John reviewed Escape from New York in Aries Magazine No. 10 and commented that it is solid summer entertainment of unusually high caliber. 
by not pretending to be more than it is, but by also not selling it for any less than it could be. Escape becomes an exciting, fast-moving drama, the likes of which we haven't seen in years. Cyberpunk pioneer William Gibson credits the film as an influence on his 1984 science fiction novel, Neuromancer. I was intrigued by the exchange in one of the opening scenes, where the warden says to Snake, you flew the goal fire over Leningrad, didn't you? It turns out to be just a throwaway line, but for a moment it worked like the best SF where a casual reference can imply a lot. Popular video game director Hideo Kojima has referred to the film frequently as an influence on his work, in particular the Metal Gear series. Solid Snake is partially influenced by the character Snake Plissken. In Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, Snake uses the alias Plissken to hide his real identity during most of the game. J.J. Abrams, producer of the 2008 film Cloverfield, mentioned that a scene in his film which shows the head of a Statue of Liberty crashing into the New York street was inspired by the poster for Escape from New York. Empire Magazine ranked Snake Plissken number 29 in their 100 Greatest Movie Characters poll. The movie was so successful, they came back in 1996 with a sequel with Escape from LA. There were talks of a remake but it bounced around from New Line Cinema to uh, other companies and directors and producers and 20th Century Foxes and screenwriters so they just said fuck it. There was even a book, a comic book, board game, they even had a cancelled anime. Ugh. Escape from New York, nothing beats the original, at least this time around. Happy 41st anniversary and shout out to Kurt Russell one of the badasses of Hollywood. In today's birthdays for July 10th, turning 34 today is American football player, Super Bowl winner, and fucking idiot, Antonio Brown. Happy 42nd birthday to American singer, songwriter, actress, fashion designer, and beautiful idiot, Jessica Simpson. Turning 45 is English actor Chiwetel Ejiofor. Happy 50th birthday to Colombian-American actress and producer Sofia Figuera. Turning 58 today is American football player, coach, possibly, quite possibly my favorite college football coach of all time, but horrible human being at the same time, Urban Meyer. Go Ohio. Turning 68 today is American baseball player and Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. Happy 75th birthday to American singer, songwriter, producer, and actor Arlo Guthrie. And a very special happy 83rd birthday to the American singer Mavis Staples. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. As always, please make sure to check out Happen in the 90s every Thursday with me and my buddy Matt G. Crushgasm with Kendra every Wednesday. Don't worry, be movie with Amanda and Wade. And B3F Podcast with Joey and Steve. All right, now, world, suck my dick. Y'all be cool. Peace.